Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Mallory, and this is my Swing Trading the Stock Market podcast. I'm here to teach you how to trade in a complex, ever-changing world of finance. Learn what it means to trade profitably and consistently, managing risk, avoiding the pitfalls of trading, and most importantly, to let those winners run wild. You can succeed at the stock market, and I'm ready to show you how. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. We're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey everybody, this is Ryan Mallory with Swing Trading the Stock Market. In today's episode, we are going to talk about backtesting, backtesting strategies. What are some of the pitfalls in backtesting and what should we be aware of? So today's email comes from a guy. We're going to give him a Florida redneck name of Mitch. Mitch writes, hey Ryan, I have a quick question for you. I am getting started with technical analysis and was wondering when backtesting, do I test stocks or run my scan, and then back test the stocks in the scan? The issue in my scan shows only a small number of stocks. Please respond or answer on the podcast. Well, I'm going to answer on the podcast, Mitch. But first, what am I drinking? Guys, this one's a riot, man. I found this at Total Wine. I don't know. I probably spent like a couple bucks on it. It was in their sample section. And it's Hochstatter's. I don't even know how to say this. Hochstatter's <laughs> slow and low. 84 proof rock and rye. And it says in the little caption here on the can, it says union made with straight rye whiskey, raw honey, navel orange, rock candy, and bitters. Now here's the crazy part. Thing comes in like a little miniaturized soda can. Never had whiskey in a miniaturized soda can. I have my concerns about something like this. I don't see it being very good. Now, to its credit, it is actually 84 proof, so it's 42% alcohol. This is something that I would expect it to be like 25%. But no, it actually comes in at 42, so it meets the threshold of, okay, having potential just from a sheer proof standpoint. But again, I'm very skeptical. Now, it gives you 100 milliliters in this thing. I filled up my Glen Clare glass and went way past like the midsection. It was crazy. I don't think I'm going to be able to drink all this stuff. If I am, I'm, ugh, I don't know where I'm going to be at. But anyways... Now, just eyeballing this whiskey, and you guys probably wonder sometimes why I look at the whiskey color itself, because the good whiskeys are very clear. It's like crystal clear, like if you were in the Caribbean and you were just able to see straight to the bottom to the ocean floor. This one here is very murky. Like, it does not have a lot of clearness to it. And so that often happens, too, I think, when you add 
honey and bitters and all these other things to it. It just kind of like dilutes the purity of the whiskey. I'm not a fan of that. I feel like if it's a good whiskey, it should be able to stand on itself. So I'm not a big fan of adding anything to the whiskeys. But that's what the slow and low rock and ride does. They add to it. Now, the eyeball test doesn't pass. On the nose, definitely some really strong citrus flavors. It smells a little sweet too, but I don't really know what to make of that. But it's a strong citrus flavor. To the taste, man, uh, it's strong honey flavors, strong orange and citrus flavors. I can definitely taste some of the bitters that they added to it. Is it enjoyable of a drink? No. Is it satisfying? No. If somebody handed it to me at a party or a cocktail get-together, would I necessarily be upset by it? No. I kind of expect a lot of places that I go, whether it's restaurants or just any place for that matter, when they hand me a cocktail or when they hand me a whiskey, I don't have like high expectations for it. And this would be like along the lines of something I don't have high expectations for, nor is it meeting expectations. It's almost like they're trying to come across as some kind of like old fashioned, but they give it to you in a can as if you're supposed to just drink it right out of the can. It's warm. It doesn't have like a cocktail feel to it right out of the can. Maybe you do need to put it on ice, but on the can, it just says don't need no fixing. Drink straight up or with ice. Drinking straight up isn't satisfying. I don't know why they put that on the can. I would actually put on the can Serve it with some freaking ice. Now, for this, I actually woke my wife up. I was like, you got to try this. Tell me what you think because it's straight out of a can. And she told me, oh, this is awful. It's like a 1.8 max 2.1. I'm going to be a little bit more generous and say it's a 3.7. The aftertaste on it's a little bit weird. It's almost like your tongue falls asleep. It has that like little sensation of like when your arm falls asleep or something. It's like your tongue falling asleep. It has a little bit of heat or it tries to come on with some heat, but it doesn't do enough to satisfy 3.7, man, and maybe that's generous, but that's about as high as I can go with that one. So, low and low, 84 proof, rock and rye, 3.7. Again, not a fan. So, back to Mitch and backtesting. I don't do a lot of podcasts on backtesting. I think one of the reasons why is that I don't do a lot of backtesting myself. I've done it in the past. I know quite a bit about it, and I have a lot of concerns about running these formulas or systems when it comes to backtesting, especially with what's on the commercial market and the tools that they give you for it, I don't have a high level of confidence in it. So Mitch talks about here, hey, I'm getting started with technical analysis. I was wondering about when I'm doing backtesting and he talks a little bit more about it. Well, I would stop him right there and just say, hey, if you're just starting to learn about technical analysis, do more just of the technical analysis. Don't get caught up in the backtesting yet. Try to develop a foundation of understanding when it comes to technical analysis, because there's a lot of it. I mean, you can read for months and months and months, if not years on technical analysis. There's all sorts of different strategies. There's all sorts of different approaches. And so if you're just starting off with technical analysis, if you do do a backtesting strategy, it's going to be probably rather basic and probably not something that takes into account a lot of the factors that you need to be taking into account when it comes to backtesting. And we're going to get to those here in just a second. But If you're starting off with technical analysis, focus on technical analysis. Don't be so quick to jump into backtesting. It's just like people who are just starting off with trading and they're trading stocks and all of a sudden two days later, they're jumping into freaking options or crypto or into leveraged ETFs or going full tilt margin on their account. It's much better to stay away from those things and just learn how to trade stocks. One of the things that I'd like least about backtesting is that they do a horrible job of accounting for risk. Yes, you can put on the backtest 
hey, if a stock goes down 4%, I want to go ahead and get out of it, okay? That's what most of your backtesting strategies involves. If it goes down X amount, sell the stock. The problem with that is that it doesn't take into account a strategic stop loss. Like most, if not all of your backtesting strategies, I've not come across one that actually takes into account of this, is that it doesn't really look into where the stop loss should be placed at. You could say 4% on every trade and backtest off of that, but then are you really taking into account a stock that maybe should have a 5% stop loss or a 2% stop loss? That can make huge differences in your trade. It can be the difference of being stopped out or not being stopped out. Like if the stop loss should be 2%, but you place it at an arbitrary 4%, well, you get stopped out at 4%. Well, you probably should have been stopped out at 2% and you could have cut your losses in half. Or maybe it should have been at 5% and it goes down 4.5%. You're stopped out, but then it hits 4.5% and goes right back up because it started testing a key support level that your stop loss was placed right underneath and it starts to rally again and you made 15%. That's all of a sudden a huge swing. That's a 20% difference on that particular trade. So I think backtesting does a very poor job of risk management. And when it comes to backtesting too, if you're still going to say, hey, I'm going to use just like a basic stop loss number, 4% on a trade or a 5% on a trade, whatever it is, then you got to look at the average drawdown of your trading strategy. Okay, let's say the stock trading strategy is up 1,000% over the course of a 10-year period, but the average drawdown was 80%. Okay, you're going to go ahead with that strategy, but can you really stomach an 80% drawdown? Let's say you're trading with $100,000. What if you get that drawdown right in the very beginning? Can you really stomach a drawdown that goes from $100,000 down to $20,000 and then bounces back up? Maybe you can, but going down to $20,000 along the way, that's going to create a lot of restless nights, a lot of emotions, a lot of problems, and good chance that you give up on the trading strategy before it ever gets there. And then all of a sudden, you don't have that money anymore. And what's even worse is, let's say, Instead of waiting for it to get all the way down to 20000 you bailed out when it was only $30,000 left in the account. You suffered a 70% drawdown, says, I can't take it anymore. And then you see it go you know, even further. You feel a little bit justified for going ahead and getting out of your account. It's like, aha, see there, I told you it was going to keep going down. I made the right decision. I saved an extra $10,000 or whatever. And then you see a bottom and it goes right back up. And now all of a sudden, the $100,000 account that you were initially starting with would have been worth two or $300,000. Now what's happening? Yes. You got out with a portfolio value of $30,000, and now you're not even in the market, but you're wrestling with the anguish of knowing that had you just been a little bit more patient, had you just waited till it draws all the way down to $20,000 in value, that you could have been extremely profitable. But the fact of the matter is, is as humans, we're very emotional. We don't want to see our accounts go from $100,000 down to $20,000. And so oftentimes, we're bailing out at the worst possible time. So Risk management is very, very important when it comes to swing trading strategies. you got to make sure that whatever system that you use, that whatever the max drawdown is or even the average drawdown, that that is something that you can stomach. And guess what? Just because like the max drawdown might be 80% doesn't mean that there isn't a future 90% drawdown or a 95% drawdown. And that's even worse because it's not giving you the max pain. It's just telling you what it's done in the past. doesn't mean that it can't be different in the future. It's like you take an individual stock, right? You hear all the time, this stock has never had this bad of a month. Or, hey, this is the most that the stock has ever dropped in a given year. Well, that kind of flies in the face of like previous back tests, wouldn't it? So just because that the max drawdown is, let's say, 30%, doesn't mean it can't have a drawdown of 70%. So back tests are really just a look at the past. And he talks about here, he doesn't have enough of a sample size. Well, 
it really depends on what stocks you're trading. Like if you were just going to be trading FANG stocks, let's say Meta, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Google, Microsoft, and Tesla, then you would backtest just on those. If you're going to trade the entire market, you need to backtest on the entire market. Taking a sample size of a handful really doesn't help at all because that handful could just be a favorable sampling. If you're going to trade the entire market, in my opinion, you should backtest the entire market. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The other thing, too, you got to account for position sizes. So what do you do if you get 20 signals to buy, but you're doing 10% position sizes? Then if you're only doing 10% position sizes and there's 20 trade signals, you're either going full tilt into margin or you're giving up on 10 of those trade signals that you should be taking. The problem with that is then all of a sudden, what if the best trade of the year is being left out of those 10 that you didn't take? And that's what really makes the difference for the trading system versus beating the market versus not beating the market. But then let's say, hey, okay, we'll use 5% position sizes. Well, let's say that over the course of 10 years, you only have like one or two moments where you you were fully invested in the market. And the other times you were only like 30 or 40% invested in the market. But there were plenty of times that you should have been vested fully, but you weren't vested fully. So you see what I'm trying to say is like the position sizes is going to be very, very difficult to be able to find that happy medium between how many stocks are you going to trade? What if you're trading a system that has 100 signals? Are you really going to trade just 1% position sizes? Maybe if you're a hedge fund, but if you're not a hedge fund, then it's going to be very difficult. And if you are trading 100 position sizes, are you really beating the market at that point? Because the more stocks that you trade, the more likely you're going to just basically give you the returns of SPY. And here's the other thing that's very interesting. If you're doing your backtesting based off of the last 13 years of trading, you're really not giving yourself a fair outlook on how well that trading strategy is. Because the last 13 years, we've been in a raging bull market, helped large in part by the Federal Reserve. So what do you do when the Federal Reserve is not helping out? How does the trading system perform, let's say, in the 90s? Let's say in the 70s. Is it actually going to backtest off of the companies that were in the 70s? Because... A lot of your companies that are trading today weren't involved in the 70s. So it almost needs to focus on the companies that were actually around in the 70s. And that information is very hard to come by. There's not a lot of systems that are out there that are giving you back tests that include 2008 and stocks like Enron and Lehman Brothers. It's just really the stocks that are trading today. So if you go all the way back to the 70s, yeah, you'll probably be back testing Ford. You'll be back testing GM. But your sample size is probably going to be a lot smaller because they're not keeping historical data on some of these companies that are non-existent or got acquired and are no longer publicly traded. Like take, for instance, LinkedIn. That one got acquired by Microsoft. What if you did a backtesting strategy going back to 2010 and it doesn't include LinkedIn? What's the problem there? Well, what if LinkedIn was responsible for 50 or 60 trading signals between the time that you started the backtesting and the time that it got acquired, and you're not including that in your backtesting. Well, that's kind of a problem, right? And so when you start backtesting in bear markets too, most of your backtesting strategies will blow up in a bear market. It's kind of like doubling down. What worked in a bull market does not work in a bear market. 
And so you're trying to apply the same strategy and the backtesting results are just chaos and losing all your capital. So if you're going all the way back to 2009, yeah, there's a few pullbacks there. You had European financial crisis, you have the pullback in 2018, you have the COVID crisis, but you don't have a ton of them. And there's another problem too, curve fitting, man. We look at like, okay, if I just tweak this and I tweak that and I tweak this and I tweak this over here, you start to curve fit. But when you curve fit a strategy to the exact past, doesn't mean that's going to replicate into the future. So you got to be cautious of that. But I tell you what, one thing that's not a bad idea is subscribing to swingtradingthestockmarket.com where you're going to get all my stock market research each and every day. Now, it's a little different than the trading block that I offer on SharePointer where you get all my stock picks real time through alerts and everything else. Swingtradingthestockmarket.com is just going to give you my research. So my watch list, the stocks that I'm looking at each day, and you're going to get a lot of videos too throughout the week, just a ton of videos overall, but definitely check it out. Swingtradingthestockmarket.com. All my research is there and in the process, you're supporting this channel. So to summarize what we've talked about with this podcast, guys, if you're just starting off in technical analysis, focus on the technical analysis. I would save the back testing for another day. Also, in your back testing, if you're going to do it, make sure that you're taking into account risk management and position sizing. And where are you placing the stop losses? Is it just going to be 4% on every trade? Or are you actually going to have a way to place the stop loss below strategic levels? And can you handle the drawdowns that are in the back testing strategy? And make sure as well not to curve fit. And don't focus your back testing strategy on the last 13 years of a raging bull market. Make sure you got the 2000 involved and 2008 involved and maybe some of that stuff from the 80s and 90s. And if you enjoy this podcast, make sure that you leave me a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. I appreciate that. Keep sending in your questions, guys. Not enough of you guys are sending in questions. I need more of them. I want to look at them. I want to put them on the air. I'm not really a guy that gets into the tax questions. That's not my area. I get a lot of those and I just can't answer those. I'm not an accountant. I'm a trader. But everything else, send them to me. I want to make an episode out of them. So keep sending me your questions. There's no bad questions. I love them. I appreciate them. And make sure to check out swingtradingthestockmarket.com. Thank you and God bless. Thanks for listening to my podcast, Swing Trading the Stock Market. I'd like to encourage you to join me in the SharePointer Trading Block, where I navigate the stock market each day with traders from around the world. With your membership, you will get a seven-day trial and access to my trading room, including alerts via text, email, and WhatsApp. So go ahead, sign up by going to SharePointer.com slash trading block. That's www.SharePointer.com slash trading block. And follow me on SharePlanner's Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, where I provide unique market and trading information every day. If you have any questions, please feel free to email me at brian at All the best to you, and I look forward to trading with you soon.